The following episode of Lyrics of Their Life contains strong adult themes and is suitable for mature audiences only. It also deals with serious incidents that may be distressing to some. If you at any time require support, please contact your local crisis centre. Hello and welcome back to Lyrics of Their Life. To get the best experience possible, I highly recommend tuning in to parts 1 and 2 of the story first, as the story flows on from there. As a quick recap in part 1, we covered Kurt's childhood and teen years all the way to Nirvana's first taste of success with their debut album, Bleach. In part 2, Nirvana reached insane heights through the success of their album Nevermind. Kurt soon married fellow musician Courtney Love, and the two had a baby together named Francis Bean Cobain. However, Kurt's relationship with Courtney Love, the media pressure, and heroin would cause him to spiral. After a number of overdoses and disruptions, Nirvana were now ready to release their first single off of their third studio album, titled In Utero. So once again, let's jump straight back into the story. I'm your host, Adam Hampton, and this is Lyrics of Their Life. On the 30th of August, 1993, Nirvana released their first single from the album In Utero, titled Heart Shaped Box. The heavy but somber track peaked at number one on the alternative charts in the US, reached the top 10 in five countries including the UK and New Zealand on their mainstream chart, and reached number 21 in Australia. The song also alternates from slow melodic rhythms to faster paced loud grunge music during the chorus similar to In Bloom and Smells Like Teen Spirit. Kurt had originally started writing the song back in early 1992, just after Kurt and Courtney's wedding. He picked it up again when relocating later that year to LA, finishing the lyrics after Francis was born. Kurt claimed the lyrics were inspired by a TV report on the news about children suffering with cancer and the harsh reality of the disease. But like most artists, Kurt liked to conceal the true meaning behind his music and usually played it off as nonsensical lyrics. However, the song appears to go much deeper than this. In fact, it is almost certain to be about Kurt's rocky relationship with Courtney and the feeling of entrapment. Kurt sings in a depressive tone before screeching at the chorus in pain and anger. The lyrics in the opening verse read, She eyes me like a Pisces when I am weak. I've been locked inside your heart-shaped box for weeks. I've been drawn into your magnet tar pit trap. I wish I could eat your cancer when you turn black. The chorus reads, Hey, wait, I got a new complaint. Forever in debt to your priceless advice. While Kurt continues with the second verse singing, Meat eating orchids, forgive no one just yet. Cut myself on angel hair and baby's breath. Broken hymen of your highness, I'm left black. Throw down your umbilical noose so I can climb right back. As Kurt had expressed before, he would often have at least two to three different meanings laid down throughout a song, so it is very open to interpretation, with the music video also seemingly fusing a number of themes. Kurt was originally going to title the song Heart-Shaped Coffin, perhaps suggesting how he felt trapped while in the relationship, being stuck in a coffin, or later, a box. Without a doubt, the song appears to be written about entrapment and Kurt feeling very unhappy in his relationship and, in my opinion, suggests that Kurt was prepared to leave Courtney during the early stages of their relationship until discovering she was pregnant, leading to a proposal, a fast-tracked marriage just two months later, and then fatherhood. With Kurt's love for Francis being too strong, he couldn't bear to leave her behind and Courtney finally had him trapped. As we break down the song itself, the lyrics mention both Kurt and Courtney's zodiac star signs in the song of Pisces and Cancer, when Kurt sings the lines, She eyes me like a Pisces when I am weak, and I wish I could eat your cancer when you turn black. 
Kurt being born on the 20th of February qualifies him as a Pisces, while Courtney was born on the 9th of July, making her a Cancer. Interestingly enough, these zodiac signs sum up the couple's personalities perfectly. With Kurt being a Pisces, their strengths are known to be compassionate, musical, artistic, intuitive, gentle and wise, but their weaknesses include the need to escape reality, being fearful, being overly trusting, sad, and are often used as a martyr or the victim being vulnerable. Pisces often attract opposites due to their kind nature, and they also strongly dislike overconfident, know-it-all type people, cruelty or inequality, and something Kurt especially hated, being criticised. Cancers, on the other hand, are known at times to be manipulative, pessimistic and suspicious. In my opinion, when Kurt sings the opening line, she eyes me like a Pisces, when I am weak, it suggests Courtney is using her manipulative traits to take advantage of Kurt, knowing his weaknesses, including being a sensitive person who is easily controlled due to their kind and trusting tendencies and his mental health making him more vulnerable. The following line, I've been locked inside your heart-shaped box for weeks, hints at Courtney's continual pursuit of Kurt during their first few encounters, which bordered on desperate, as she threw herself upon him on a number of occasions, coming on particularly strong. As mentioned earlier, in order to woo Kurt, she sent a perfume-scented heart-shaped box to his hotel room. Inside contained all sorts of interesting, beautiful, and macabre items, as an apology for her behaviour. This gesture is said to be one of the final pieces to the puzzle that brought Kurt to finally date Courtney. Things all happened very quickly from this point on with Courtney falling pregnant, an engagement, a marriage, and the birth of Francis, as Kurt was now trapped in her heart-shaped box, or coffin, with nowhere to run. The dark lyrics perhaps suggesting a cry for help, yet were far too cryptic to realise at the time. The next line that reads, I've been drawn into your magnet tar pit trap, is a clear representation of how Kurt felt after being lured in and told he was to become a father. As mentioned earlier, Kurt described Courtney as magnetic in the beginning, but now appears to feel like he can't leave, as having a family was something he had always wanted. Tar pits are sometimes as large as lakes, and are obviously extremely sticky and hard places to get out of. They have been known to trap large prehistoric animals, and Kurt in this sense feels he can relate. The fourth line reads, I wish I could eat your cancer when you turn black. Is Kurt wishing there was a way to stop Courtney being so manipulative and controlling, and to take those parts of her away, suggesting Courtney does have her good qualities, but they are often overshadowed and are taken over by her bad qualities, almost like she has a split personality. Kurt loves Courtney, but it's a strange kind of love. He knows that she is no good for him, and he knows there is no changing her, but he feels a sense of guilt if he was to leave the relationship. Kurt ramps up the pace of the song during the chorus where he sings the line, Hey, wait, I've got a new complaint. This is according to Kurt, a reference to the way he is perceived in the media, but it seems odd to add this in when the song talks about a relationship, so it could still be related to Courtney. The chorus continues with the line, Forever in debt to your priceless advice. This runs with the theme of Kurt believing Courtney is quite manipulative, thinking she knows better than he does all the time, and this was believed to be something Kurt would say regularly to Courtney when the two argued. The second verse starts with the lines, Meat-eating orchids, forgive no one just yet. Cut myself on angel hair and baby's breath. And the line, Broken hymen of your highness, I'm left black. Courtney once claimed that the song was all about her vagina, and while these lines do in fact reference her privates, it wouldn't be in the flattering way she would have hoped for. In fact, Kurt wittily included this to be a metaphor for man or meat eating plants known as orchids. The shape and appearance of an orchid is occasionally known to resemble a vagina. But what's most interesting about the lyric is that a type of carnivorous meat-eating orchid is the Venus flytrap who got its name through the Roman goddess of love. Once again, Kurt wittily sneaks in another reference to entrapment and this time refers to Courtney Love's sexual confidence and flirtatious behaviour that undoubtedly lured Kurt in eventually, as he found her hard to resist when she threw herself onto him time and time again. Before long, he was stuck in her trap with the news of her pregnancy. Backing up this relationship between the Venus flytrap and Kurt's relationship with Courtney is the line, cut myself on angel's hair and baby's breath. 
Angel's hair is a type of parasitic plant that slices open the so-called host plant before growing and embedding its roots inside it. While the baby's breath reference is also a similar parasitic plant that is used in wedding bouquets, perhaps linking Kurt's wedding to the time he was finally locked into Courtney's trap. The fact that Kurt refers to cutting himself allows the angel hair and baby's breath, aka Courtney, to embed her roots into Kurt and take over, therefore controlling the original host. The line broken hymen of your highness, I'm left black, perhaps refers to Courtney's sexual nature and her obvious overconfidence that she exuberates, being the Your Highness lyric, and Kurt is claiming in the song that she likes to play the sweet innocent victim in their relationship with the lyric, Broken Hymen. With Kurt feeling like he is left black, the lyric suggests he is not enjoying being in a relationship anymore with Courtney, and despite giving him things like sex, it still leaves that hole, and can't bring him the happiness he desires. The most disturbing of all the lyrics in the song reads, Throw down your umbilical noose so I can climb right back. It has been suggested by some that perhaps this is Kurt wanting to start his life over or his suicidal tendencies. But in my opinion, this all but confirms Kurt's initial desire to never intend on seeing his relationship with Courtney out and to leave her early on. Only to be persuaded to stay upon the announcement that he was to become a father as Courtney perhaps feared he was leaving her and knew that Kurt always wanted to have a family of his own and wouldn't be able to walk away, being from a broken family himself and always wanting to prove to himself that he could be a better father than his own. These were all details the two bonded over in the beginning of their hangouts due to their similar upbringings. Backing up my analysis of the lyric to Heart Shaped Box is the equally as cryptic and strange music video that reveals much more about where Kurt was at mentally at this point in time. According to Chris Novoselic, Kurt liked to include cryptic clues in videos and songs. Kurt was very macabre and loved dark style art, and his thoughts and visions were strongly evident in this clip as he had a huge role in directing and producing the music video alongside Anton Corbin. The music video begins with Kurt, Chris and Dave sitting and waiting patiently for an elderly man to wake from a comatose state in a hospital bed. As a large black cross lays on the floor at the foot of the bed, the man is on a fluid drip while a depressing mellow bass line and guitar riff is played. As Kurt's vocals and the rhythm kicks in, the old man is seen in a comatose or alternate dream state within a field full of red poppies with rolling yellow hills and a blue sky in the background. The old frail man is wearing a red Santa hat and a tunic around his waist as he begins to pick the poppies by hand. The old frail man slowly begins climbing a ladder perched up against a large wooden cross, seemingly surrendering himself as a sacrifice before appearing tied to the cross as a holy Jesus type figure as crows begin to peck at him. Instead of screaming, the man seems to accept his fate and looks defeated. As the camera zooms in on the man, it all starts to make sense. The old man resembles Kurt, with his clear blue eyes, facial hair, mid-length blonde hair, and body type. The video reflects the first verse's lyrics, as Kurt is feeling trapped, weak, and has accepted his fate, stuck in a tar pit trap. Poppy seeds from poppies are known to produce pain relief medications, such as morphine, codeine, and opium as a sedative. Poppies are also known as a symbol of death, sleep, and even peace, and in Greek mythology, they were used as an offering to the dead. This perhaps all relates to the comatose state the old man is in, while even suggesting Kurt's dependency on drugs such as heroin to see him through the pain in his life, both in regards to his stomach condition and his relationship with Courtney. In more eerie details, Kurt wanted to include the theme of the Wizard of Oz with the poppies seen in the film in a magical field. In this field, the characters were threatened that if anyone stepped into the field, they would fall asleep forever. In the music video, the old man believed to be Kurt is seen walking amongst the poppies and picking them before surrendering to the cross. This perhaps relates to Kurt's attitude at this point, being slightly careless with his heroin use to numb the pain he feels, which has evidently led him to overdosing before. There are many dual meanings noticeable throughout the clip, and the reasoning behind the crosses, the old man being crucified, and the Santa hat also relate to Kurt's hatred for the Catholic Church's stance on abortion and their hypocritical ways. What's also interesting with the Santa hat is that Kurt and Courtney got engaged on the 10th of December around Christmas time. 
In the clip, the old man is wearing a Santa hat while surrendering to the cross like Jesus, perhaps signifying the day Kirk gave up his freedom as a sacrifice for his unborn child. This could have been a reference to the moment Kurt felt he was officially trapped and decided to submit. Like many in relationships, the common thing to do if you're having a baby is to marry so perhaps Kurt felt pressured into proposing sooner and getting married before their baby's arrival as a stereotypical Christian thing to do. It was also interesting that the man believed to resemble Kurt was comparable with a Jesus or Messiah type figure. This could be reflective of how Kurt was now perceived by his fans that he was often embarrassed about and quick to play down his role as an icon or leader of a movement for rebellion and equality. In the clip, the crows begin pecking at the old man and shaking their head in disapproval, which is likely a representation of the outsiders such as media, fans and everyone else close to Kurt judging him and attempting to take a piece of the frail defeated man that is Kurt Cobain. Kurt later stated that the line, hey, wait, I've got a new complaint, was in fact referring to the media and how they perceived him, so it is likely this is the case. As the video was shot around late August 1993, Kurt's world would have been full of drama, such as losing his daughter briefly, constant scrutiny in the tabloids, and the rapid rise of Nirvana through the album Nevermind. He would have been feeling mentally and physically exhausted at this point, which was reflective in what he was trying to portray in the music video and the song. As we continue to decipher the video, the chorus kicks in and the old man is all of a sudden missing from the cross. Kurt is seen playing guitar with his bandmates and singing directly in line with where the cross is situated. The sky is now an orange and red Armageddon-like sky and again runs with the theme of the Wizard of Oz film. Kurt sings into the camera as it blurs in and out on his crazed eyes, showing the pain and torment he is being put through. These scenes again supporting the notion that Kurt is in fact the broken old man we see. The video continues to get darker and more strange when the old man's Santa hat switches to a Pope's mitre hat instead. A young blue-eyed girl is seen wearing a white KKK outfit and appears at a tree full of fetuses and unborn babies and attempts to reach for them before a large overweight and purposely unattractive woman wearing a human meat suit, exposing her internal organs, attempts to reach for the fetuses out of the tree with a wide, almost evil grin on her face, almost like she is trying to snatch one of the fetuses. The woman also has large angel wings and is soon seen standing proud and confidently like a saint with her hands on her hips as a yellow brick road type path runs through the set where old man Kurt is missing from the cross once again. While many have struggled to pinpoint the meaning behind her role in the clip, in my opinion the large woman in the clip was supposed to be a representation of how Kurt perceives Courtney as a person and her unattractive personality. In Kurt's view, Courtney perceives herself as an angel and she often attempts to make others see her that way, hence the angel wings. While it also appears that Kurt attempts to sum up her unpleasant personality by exposing what lies underneath her skin, hence the meat suit and grotesque organs being displayed. This is what Kurt sees and he wants others to realise this too. As the little girl and the large woman both appear when the line, cut myself on angel's hair and baby's breath, is sung, while also referring to the parasitic plants and orchids mentioned earlier. In my opinion, it has a dual meaning and also refers to Courtney being the angel hair, hence the angel wings, and I believe the little girl in the clip is representing Kurt's daughter Frances with the baby's breath lyric relating to her. While feeling love for them, especially Frances, they are the cause of Kurt's weakness and are his reasons for not leaving as he further cuts or damages himself mentally by submitting to Courtney's ways and staying with her as she plants her roots further in. All of these scenes perhaps foretelling of Courtney driving Kurt to his death. For the duration of the clip, the large woman believed to be Courtney is the only individual to smile as the little girl, the old man, Kurt and his bandmates remain sad looking, distressed, angry, confused and depressed. While the old man is on the cross, the young girl then attempts to reach out for him before moving on. The old man watches the young girl believed to be an older representation of Francis skipping through the poppies, perhaps suggesting Kurt's inability to stop his daughter from following the same dark path as himself or protect her from her own mother, as he is stuck and defenceless and too weak to stop her as he spirals down his own dark path. 
the KKK outfit, Pope Mitre hat, and tree of fetuses are also said to be a reference once again to Kurt's views against the Catholic Church and their contradictory stance on equality and abortion. As the video progresses, more scenes appear to confirm Kurt is in fact the old man and Francis is the little girl, as they tease this connection with their blue eyes and close-up camera angles, showing the distress on their face as Kurt appears more crazed and the girl is then seen throwing poppies away in anger. As the instrumental section kicks in, the little girl's hat flies off her head in the wind and a group of blue butterflies carry it into a puddle of black ink that transforms the hat to black. Flying out of the black ink and landing on the little girl's head, however, is a witch's hat instead, as she transforms into a full black attire, linking the Wizard of Oz villain character, the Wicked Witch of the West, and suggesting this was the doing of Courtney being the villain. This again supports the notion mentioned earlier of Kurt's fears that Francis will become corrupted and trapped like he had under Courtney's control. The line, I wish I could eat your cancer when you turn black, is perhaps a dual reference to this, as Courtney is the perceived cancer that could potentially turn their little girl black and corrupt her. The little girl, aka Francis, appears in the hospital at the foot of the bed of the old man, aka Kurt, wearing her black attire, almost like she is in mourning. A close-up shot shows an unborn fetus pictured sitting inside the old man's fluid bag, suggesting that the fetus was Francis, and Kurt was only holding on to his relationship with Courtney and his life due to his love for Francis, as she is his blood, and that's what kept him going. Suddenly, Kurt appears very briefly after a drawn-out distorted guitar note, and is seen standing in front of the hospital bed with no old man to be found, continuing the pattern where they are never in the same scene together. Instead laying in the bed is Kurt's amplifiers, tucked in sheets and all, suggesting that all that will be left of him is his music. Kurt quickly strums his guitar as the camera cuts to the little girl once again, standing in black by the bed. Once again the camera quickly cuts away to Chris, Dave and Kurt, sitting in their waiting room chairs. The front on shot shows Kurt slumping in his chair, swinging a stopwatch or pendulum back and forth, suggesting perhaps that time is running out for him. In the following scene, Kurt appears extremely depressed, beaten down, and defeated, with his messy hair covering his face. Dave and Chris sit in the background with their arms around each other, almost like they're comforting each other, over the loss of Kurt. Kurt now appears to be broken to the point of the old man, as he is close to his end. Kurt, Chris, and Dave then end up locked inside the heart-shaped box itself, as Kurt loses his mind, swaying furiously back and forth on a rocking chair, while Chris and Dave sit in the background. Dave appears quite distressed, and perhaps this symbolises Kurt feeling guilty for bringing his bandmates down with him, and locking them inside the box with him. Also stuck alone inside the heart-shaped box, in separate scenes, is the little girl, aka Francis, who appears to also be stuck in the same trap after Kurt had potentially passed away. If you look closely during the scenes, towards the end, Kurt continues to swing the stopwatch or pendulum, signalling time is running out. The video ends with Kurt putting on a fake smile before cutting back to the hospital, where the old man Kurt is still in a comatose state in bed. Dave and Kurt are waiting in their seats, and Chris gets up and opens the hospital curtains wide, as white light shines in. Along with all these weird metaphors, cryptic clues and symbolisms, Kurt appears severely depressed and numb in this video, and it's clear that he was burning out emotionally rather quickly at this stage. Kurt's crazed actions could also be a representation of how he had been made out in the media as an out-of-control junkie, with Courtney often doing the speaking for them in the media and manipulating people's opinion of him. Things weren't great with Courtney, and he had expressed this to some of his closest friends, including fellow musician and heroin junkie, Dylan Carlson. In a special director's cut of the video, the large angel woman perceived to be Courtney is seen smiling with her hands on her hips proudly as she walks down a path through the trees, as Kurt lies lifeless amongst a field of poppies, almost like she is one, and Kurt has fallen victim to Courtney and the field of poppies. The young girl, aka Frances, is dressed in white as she looks down at Kurt appearing sad as her lifeless father lies there as mist rises around him. All but confirming the young girl is Frances and Courtney is the large woman as this time Kurt is seen in the same scene as the two instead of the old man. 
In the background stands a silhouette of the large woman as the young girl looks back. Stuck in between the two, the camera focuses on the large lady appearing angry this time, as if she is attempting to control the girl and keep her away from her drugged out or lifeless father. The young girl is then seen pushing an empty wheelchair along the path, perhaps trying to save her father, but it's too late as Kurt's stopwatch falls from his hand onto his chest, signifying time has run out. The young girl is then seen bleeding from the chest through her white gown, once again signalling Kurt's fears for his daughter. It is important to note that much of this analysis of the clip is based off of my own personal observations, and it is most definitely open to interpretation. Kurt was definitely not in a happy place within his relationship, and while he undoubtedly loved parts of Courtney, it is clear he was never really intending on hanging around until she announced to him that she was pregnant. It almost seems like Kurt became afraid to leave Courtney as his love for Francis was far too strong to go his separate ways and he too knew exactly how this felt. Struggling with divorced parents and all he ever wanted was his family to come back together. Kurt felt strongly against fathers who abandoned their children including his own so understandably he felt that if he was to leave he was setting Francis up for the same heartache and pain and perhaps a life of drug addiction as hinted in the film clip. Kurt wittily hides many important details throughout, including the references to matters he feels passionately about in relation to the Catholic Church and abortion. While the constant references to The Wizard of Oz fit Kurt's feelings of entrapment, as the plot from Oz features the Wicked Witch of the West attacking Dorothy and her friends before enslaving Dorothy for her own personal gain, similar to how Kurt hints at his relationship with Courtney in Heart-Shaped Box. What's also interesting was in Kurt's personal journals, he drew images of male seahorses and wrote about how the male carries the unborn baby seahorse rather than the female. This perhaps resembles Kurt's feelings of how he was protective of Francis and that he always felt a strong bond and connection to his daughter, almost maternally like a mother would. Director Anton Corbin was initially going to refuse to direct the video as he usually created his own ideas from scratch and felt Kurt's involvement and detail of what he wanted was too much. The main video seen on MTV was Kurt's cut of the video. In the end he praised Kurt for his incredible vision, saying, But then I looked at it and I thought that actually it was pretty good. I was very amazed by somebody writing a song and having those ideas as precise as he did. Kurt was quoted as saying, that video has come closer to what I've seen in my mind, what I've envisioned, you know, than any other video. I didn't think it would ever be possible to come that close. They're just perfect. This confirms that the video was mostly Kurt's vision, and is eerie to think that Kurt was feeling this way, and having to hide these cryptic clues, perhaps as a cry for help. While Anton helped with prop ideas such as the mechanical crows, the ladder for the old man, and the large organ suit for the woman, it was Kurt's vision that Anton was playing off, and he tried to resemble what Kurt wanted down to the finest details. Kurt was very proud of this video, and asked Anton to work on their video for a song from In Utero called Penny Royal Tea, although this would never happen due to complications around the time of Kurt's death. On the 2nd of September, 1993, Kurt appeared at the MTV Music Video Awards wearing a simple striped top and his messy hair, appearing alongside Courtney Love in a white dress and baby Francis Bean. Kurt didn't care to dress to impress, unlike most of the attention-seeking artists there that night. Instead, he was just himself, literally stealing the show on the red carpet over his simple fashion sense. On that night, Nirvana took out Best Alternative Video for In Bloom from Nevermind, fending off four non-blondes with What's Up, while fellow grunge and alternative rockers Pearl Jam took home a number of awards for their track Jeremy. Nirvana's manager at the time, Danny Goldberg, recalls that Kurt didn't really want to attend, but it was important to keep a healthy relationship with MTV in order for them to keep playing Nirvana's music videos. On the 8th of September, 1993, Kurt and Courtney would perform together for the very first time, and only time, at the Rock Against Rape benefit concert in Hollywood, something the pair felt passionately about. Together they played an acoustic duet of Nirvana's new track from In Utero called Penny Royalty, and a cover of Where Did You Sleep Last Night, originally by Lead Belly. Less than a week later, on the 13th of September, Nirvana released their third studio album, titled In Utero. In Utero was a phrase used in a poem written by Courtney Love, and was chosen instead of the titles Verse Chorus Verse, which was a sarcastic slap at cliché pop song structures 
and I hate myself and I want to die, as Chris thought the title might end in a lawsuit if they continued with it, and Kurt thought that people just wouldn't get it. Kurt worked with artist Robert Fisher to design the front cover album artwork that features a transparent mannequin with angel wings displaying the female anatomy. The back cover would be more controversial however, as Kurt set up a collage of model fetuses and turtle shells on a bed of flowers on his living room rug and had photographer Charles Peterson take the image. With Kurt describing his artwork as quote, sex and women and in utero and vaginas and birth and death. The album itself would become Nirvana's most critically acclaimed and receive mostly positive reviews as critics praised Kurt for taking the risk of stepping away from mainstream music with the Times' Christopher John Farley summing it up well stating, Despite the fears of some alternative music fans, Nirvana hasn't gone mainstream, though this potent new album may once again force the mainstream to go Nirvana. Kurt had hoped to weed out some of Nirvana's unwanted jock fans that they had attracted from the Nevermind album. Kurt knew they were likely to lose some fans over this, but he was happy to lose some of the pressure and the feeling of being a sellout. With low expectations from the band and Geffen Records to sell nearly a quarter as much as Nevermind, by week one, In Utero would debut at number one on the US Billboard 200, selling 180,000 copies. Stalling some album sales, however, were Walmart and Kmart's stance on the album artwork and the title of the song Rape Me. In March the following year, the album artwork would be reissued and Rape Me would be retitled Waif Me, as opposed to Kurt's other selection of Sexually Assault Me. Waif meaning someone who is at the mercy of another, which fit perfectly anyway. In Utero would go to number one in three countries including Sweden, the UK and US on their mainstream charts, and number two in four countries including Australia. The album would eventually go five times platinum in the US and sell 15 million copies around the world to this day, which is around half of what Nevermind sold. The album opens with the autobiographical song, Serve the Servants, as Kurt makes an opening statement singing, Teenage angst has paid off well, now I'm bored and old as he sarcastically refers to the money he's made off of his rebellious Nevermind tracks, such as Teen Spirit, he now has everything he ever wanted, but has realised it's not all what he thought it was cracked up to be. Serve the Servants also speaks for itself, as Kurt feels he was made to do whatever the fans and recording company wanted, but went against them this time around. In this song, Kurt refers to being sick of how the media portray Courtney as a mother, wife and person, as he sings the line, If she floats then she is not a witch like we had thought. But when Kurt says we, is he perhaps referring to himself as well as others, thinking she was a witch, similar to the song Heart Shaped Box. Kurt also speaks about his parents' divorce and how his father was a disappointment, singing, I tried to have a father, but instead I had a dad. I just want you to know that I don't hate you anymore. There is nothing I could say that I haven't thought before. The second track on the album, Scentless Apprentice, was based around Kurt's favourite book, Perfume, by German writer Patrick Suskind in 1985. The plot is set in France in the 18th century, where an orphan boy is born with an amazing sense of smell, but no specific odour or scent of his own. As he grows, he becomes an apprentice at a perfume store, where he soon commits a number of murders, killing innocent women for their scent, and attempts to make perfume from them. This song was particularly confronting for Dave Grohl, who found the lyrics very dark when playing it at home for the first time, with the lyrics, I lie in the soil and fertilise mushrooms, leaking out gas fumes, I made into perfume, you can't fire me because I quit, throw me in the fire and I won't throw a fit. Dave found this particularly eerie, especially after Kurt's death. Kurt's songwriting in relation to telling the story from other people's perspectives was strong again on this album, as the song titled Francis Farmer Will Have Her Revenge on Seattle was written by Kurt as a tribute to the late actress and her story. Kurt felt in a sense that he could relate to Francis, who was an actress from Seattle. She was often criticised for her opinions and outspoken beliefs, with many believing she was an atheist or a communist. She was soon arrested and placed in a number of mental institutions, and was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. She would then stay in a mental institution in Lakewood, Washington for several years upon her family's request, where she claimed to have been sexually assaulted, gnawed at by rats, kept in confined padded rooms, and given electroconvulsive shock therapy. 
She would later be released from the Institute and successfully broke free from her mother's conservatorship as her guardian before attempting to make it again as an actor until her unfortunate death from esophageal cancer years later. Kurt and Francis Farmer felt the media pressure and were rebellious in protecting their rights and beliefs and both felt strongly about their respective arts. Despite Kurt's admiration for the actor, she was not influential on their choice of names for Francis Bean. One of Nirvana's most underrated tracks is titled Dumb, and it would manage to chart despite not being a single on the album. Kurt stated about the song, It's just about people who are easily amused. People who not only aren't capable of progressing their intelligence, but are totally happy watching 10 hours of television and really enjoy it. I've met a lot of dumb people. They have a shitty job. They may be totally lonely. They don't have a girlfriend. They don't have much of a social life. And yet for some reason, they're happy. While Kurt stated that it was about his observations of others, it is evident that it also spoke about Kurt's defiance with accepting happiness into his life. Not actually knowing what happiness is supposed to feel like and never feeling like he deserved to be happy in the first place, as he always lived a depressive life, as he sings, I think I'm dumb, or maybe just happy, I think I'm just happy. While Kurt also references his drug use for the first time as he sings, Skin the sun, fall asleep, wish away, the soul is cheap, lesson learned, wish me luck, soothe the burn, wake me up. This was in relation to the feeling of a heroin trip. The controversially titled track Rape Me, that would become the album's second single, was Kurt's strong statement song about his stance on violence and sexual assault against women. Kurt knew that this title would raise eyebrows and get people talking, and he tried to bring a voice to those victims. Kurt being a strong feminist, attempts to demonise those male offenders, and that karma and justice will come to them when they are thrown in jail to be raped by other men, themselves. The guitar riff used in the song is practically Smells Like Teen Spirit, played backwards, as he attempted to give the riff a new lease of life, to take on a new character. He sings from the victim's point of view, as if they are speaking to the culprit. While the song is repetitive, it sends a strong message that desperately needed the light shed on it. The track managed to reach number 32 on the UK mainstream charts, which is quite good considering the taboo subject used for the title that many radio stations would have turned their noses up to. Other solid tracks on the album include Penny Royal Tea, which refers to a herbal tea that was believed to induce an abortion when drunk in large quantities. Kurt also mentions that his stomach pains also came into play when writing this song, while he was also quoted as saying, The song is about a person who's beyond depressed. They're in their deathbed, pretty much. Suggesting the song could potentially be self-reflective of where Kurt's mindset was at the time. He wrote the song back in 1990 when his stomach pains were at some of their worst. In the song, Kurt also references the singer Leonard Cohen because he always listened to his music when he was sick or depressed, despite him saying that it sometimes made things worse. The song was planned to be the third single released from the album, but was not due to Kurt's death. The final track to be mentioned from In Utero was the hauntingly catchy All Apologies. Also released as a joint single with Rape Me, All Apologies would reach number one on the US alternative chart and was dedicated to his wife Courtney and daughter Frances. Kurt attempts to apologise for everything he's done wrong, the mistakes he's made and the way he had changed over the years. As he asks rhetorical questions of himself, like what else could I be, say and write? The lyrics get quite dark as the song goes on with Kurt screaming the lines, married and buried, loudly and in pain. This could once again be a reflection on where Kurt is at with his relationship with Courtney and hinting like he is running out of time, suggesting he has dwindled away since being married, leading him into an early grave. He appears to ask many questions of himself on how he can be a better person while taking responsibility for all their problems as a couple, but in a way, he hints at sarcasm and that Courtney struggles to take accountability for her own actions, in the lines, I wish I was like you, easily amused, find my nest to salt, everything's my fault, I'll take all the blame, aqua seafoam shame. Kurt ends the song by repeating a Buddhist quote, all in all is all we are, which means we are all one, no better than anyone or anything, and are all connected to all sorts of species who are just trying to live and breed just like humans. One track left off of the album was a track titled I Hate Myself and I Want to Die and was removed as Kurt was worried most people wouldn't get the song's sarcastic, humorous nature. 
He stated that he would use the phrase when interviewers asked him the same old stupid questions, as he thought that's what they wanted to hear anyway. The In Utero album overall has a general theme of entrapment, confusion, and is conflicting. It speaks of media-driven paranoia, depression, dark thoughts, relationship issues, and Kurt's strong stance on issues such as macho men, toxic masculinity, rape and sexual assault, and people's judgement of others just because their beliefs and ideals are different. But all in all, it eerily points towards the thought process and mindset of Kurt as his depression relationship with Courtney and heroin use worsened. Despite this, his songwriting evidently was as strong as ever and he appeared to be evolving as he appeared to almost write in a more poetic style on this album. The album would go down as Nirvana's favourite of their albums, with Kurt feeling proud of what he had produced for once. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Hi everyone, and sorry to interrupt. I hope you're enjoying this episode, but I just wanted to take this opportunity to tell you four ways on how you can support the podcast and play your part in keeping it going, so I can continue to bring you more great episodes. If you enjoy Lyrics of Their Life podcast, first of all it would be greatly appreciated if you could subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. It's totally free to do, it just means that you will receive a notification when a new episode of the podcast becomes available. Secondly, you can leave the podcast a positive 5 star review on iTunes as this helps the podcast reach a larger audience. Third of all, you can tell your friends all about the podcast or join us on our social media pages at Facebook, Instagram, TikTok and Twitter. While finally, you can take your support one step further and head to our Patreon page and pledge your support to one of two of our plans for just $1 or $5 per month with no locking contract. Or you can pledge just a one-off payment for all the hard work that goes into creating the podcast and you will receive a number of extra benefits to go with your donation. Or you can even buy me a beer for $5 at buymeacoffee.com forward slash lyrics of life pod. I am a totally independent podcast creator, meaning there are no large networks or businesses financially supporting my work. So your support would be greatly appreciated as it means I can continue creating more content such as biographies, the weekly muse, interviews and more as it takes a lot of time, resources and research to prepare and upload just one single episode. Links to Patreon and Buy Me A Coffee can be found in the show notes on our website at lyricsoftheirlife.com or on our Facebook page. Once again, I appreciate every one of my listeners for their support, no matter the form it comes in. Thanks for listening. Now let's get back to the episode. On the 25th of September, 1993, Nirvana made their second appearance on Saturday Night Live, hosted by NBA star Charles Barkley, to promote In Utero and to launch their latest tour beginning in October, as they performed Heart Shaped Box and Rape Me High on Marijuana. Joining Nirvana on stage for the first time was rhythm guitarist Pat Smear, who had become their fourth member of the band while performing live. On the 18th of October, Nirvana played their first gig of the In Utero tour in Phoenix, Arizona. Around this time, Kurt was cracking jokes still, but was super sensitive, was often too hard on himself, and was usually depressed and had been using heroin again. Kurt's grandfather said that Courtney got more and more estranged and started leading Kurt away from his family towards the end, despite liking her initially, and he stated that she made Kurt give up a lot of his old friends for her as time went on. Talks would soon arise again that the band was set to split up, but they continued on their tour. On the 18th of November, 1993, at Sony Studios New York, Nirvana would make its debut performance on MTV Unplugged, the television show that sees popular artists and bands strip their hit songs down to mostly acoustic instruments and had seen the likes of Mariah Carey, Eric Clapton, Rod Stewart, Paul McCartney and Annie Lennox perform from 1989 up to this point. The performance would go down as one of Nirvana's finest and would be one of their final performances together on TV. MTV had been in talks with Nirvana for quite a while as they had previously tried to get them on the show, but Kurt was the one who held back these plans until finally agreeing while touring with a band called The Meat Puppets and invited them onto the show with them. Dave Grohl said, We'd seen the other unplugs and didn't like many of them. 
because most bands would treat them like rock shows, play their hits like it was Madison Square Garden, except with acoustic guitars. Kurt and his bandmates rehearsed for two days for the performance and ran into quite a bit of difficulty as they struggled to get the sound they were going for right, causing Kurt to become frustrated. Kurt was nervous to perform a full show acoustically as it was something he had never done before and it would force him to be more intimate with his audience, with all eyes on him. Making matters worse was Kurt began to butt heads with MTV as they didn't like how many cover songs Kurt had selected, preferring that Nirvana played the hits instead and they weren't keen on the idea of having the meat puppets as their special guests. The day right before filming, Kurt refused to play and was said to be suffering from bad drug withdrawals and severe nerves over the performance, forcing him to leave and return the following afternoon. MTV were worried the performance wouldn't work with one observer stating, There was no joking, no smiles, no fun coming from him. Everyone was more than a little worried about his performance. Clearly Kurt wasn't in the best state of mind, but he did take it very seriously and soon everyone's minds would be blown when he delivered one of his most spine-tingling vocal performances to date. On the day of recording, Kurt appeared wearing a number of layers as usual, including a grey shawl-type jacket, as he sat on his stool with his beautiful 1959 Martin D18E acoustic electric guitar, where he shared a few small laughs with the live studio audience, despite also seeming quite depressed, distracted and frustrated. He instructed the stage designer that he wanted stargazer lilium flowers, black candles and a chandelier, with the producer Alex Coletti stating, you mean like a funeral, with Kurt replying, exactly like a funeral. Chris would on this occasion play accordion, acoustic bass and acoustic guitar along with Kurt, while Dave played drums lightly with brush sticks and picked up the acoustic bass at one point. Live band member Pat Smear was also on acoustic guitar, and touring cello player Laurie Goldston completed the lineup, with Chris and Kurt Kirkwood of the Meat Puppets joining in for three songs. With Kurt feeling uncomfortable about going completely unplugged, producer Alex Coletti also built Kurt a box to cover the amplifier and effects pedals to disguise them from the viewer, as Kurt refused to play without them, as Alex said, it was Kurt's security blanket. He was used to hearing his guitar through his fender. He wanted those effects. You can hear it on the man who sold the world. It's an acoustic guitar, but he's obviously going through an amp. The set would last for 14 songs, and they were one of few artists to appear on the show and play their set in just one take. After a quick warm-up session, Nirvana were ready to go. Despite Kurt's intense nerves, he asks an assistant for his plectrum as he pulls his acoustic Fender guitar onto his lap before nervously saying good evening into the microphone. Before chucking in some sarcastic dry humour, saying in a sad tone, this is off our first record, most people don't own it, as they open their set with an epic rendition of About a Girl from their Bleach album. As the set rolled on, Nirvana performed four songs from Nevermind, including Come As You Are and a haunting rendition of Something In The Way, along with three songs from In Utero, which included an emotional performance of All Apologies and Dumb, three tracks with the Meat Puppets, and six covers including brilliant renditions of Jesus Doesn't Want Me For A Sunbeam from The Vaselines, and The Man Who Sold The World originally by David Bowie. But topping off this incredible performance was a cover of Lead Belly's Where Did You Sleep Last Night to wrap up the performance, which was one of Kurt and the band's personal favourite musicians. As the band and crowd called out some suggestions for Nirvana to play, Kurt takes his time before saying, Fuck you all, this is the last song for the evening, before launching into Where Did You Sleep Last Night. It begins with a sombre, remorseful and mourning type vocal, before upping the tempo towards the final verse, with gritty sustained growls, as he sings My girl, my girl, don't lie to me, tell me where did you sleep last night. Kurt's performance was breathtaking as his screams and cries emanated pain, emotion, heartache, the feeling of being cold and betrayed, almost like he was singing about Courtney or from his own personal life. The song itself speaks about a woman going off and cheating on a man. He ventures out into the cold to find her, but is killed in an accident. Kurt ends the song with a blood-curdling, painful, but beautiful scream of I shiver the whole before taking a big deep breath and opening his blue eyes wide open and ending with the line, Night through, as he drags out the final note and strums his guitar intensely. 
Kurt refused to do an encore, despite MTV's producer's insistence, as he thought they couldn't top that song, and he also felt like they blew it, as everyone was so quiet, only to realise they loved it and were simply blown away. The spine-tingling performance earned the band rave reviews when it was first aired in December, and Kurt finally felt proud of what they had achieved, as people now looked at the band differently. With respected musicians such as Neil Young saying that the rendition was unearthly, like a werewolf, unbelievable. Kurt was excited that people would finally view him and his band differently, and for the very first time, Kurt would admit that they were great. After this, Kurt grew in confidence and revealed in an interview that he would like to continue his career playing more acoustic-style music, and hinted that he was thinking of working on more solo projects, and that he would like to be seen more as a blues acoustic singer-songwriter than a grunge musician. Despite this, those same demons wouldn't leave him alone, and his drug habits were still present. The more money, the more heroin, and Kurt's mental health was at an all-time low, with touring adding further pressure on the singer. Thank you all so much for joining me for part three of the Kirk Cobain story. Don't forget to check out all our other episodes from season one and two, and stay tuned for next week as we wrap up Kurt Cobain's incredible story. You won't want to miss that one. For more information regarding this episode, including weekly updates and more, head to our Facebook page at Lyrics of Their Life Podcast or our website at lyricsoftheirlife.com. If you really enjoy the podcast and would like to give back for the hard work that goes into it, it would be greatly appreciated if you could leave a review on iTunes, let your friends know about what they've been missing out on, and click the free subscribe button to the podcast so you can receive new episodes direct to you when they become available. If you would like to support the podcast financially, then feel free to head to Patreon, where you can pledge your support for as little as $1 a month. Every bit of support is greatly appreciated, and it means I can continue bringing you more great episodes in the future. Once again, thank you all for listening. I'm your host, Adam Hampton, and this is Lyrics of Their Life.